1: And you're here. Thanks
2: for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's start with Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
3: Welcome to our podcast.
4: by the Wizard of Weird, this is Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
2: I am Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more on this edition of the program A prisoner wrote me a letter, and here's what he said. You know, let me start by telling you I am recording this in the Halloween season, and this is the time of year when it's okay to talk about spooky stuff. But you know what? That's really a silly thing to say. Because the absolute scariest things in society are things that many of us, as a huge audience, gorge on all year long. It's called true crime. Yes, the entire genre of true crime. TV shows, books, podcasts, you name it. It's everywhere all year long, and it has always been popular since the very beginning of media. Why is that? Why is it that people are not necessarily interested in some cases in say like a fictional horror movie or a, a haunted funhouse, but nonetheless glued to true crime stories about real people doing real things that are really truly horrible? That's kind of an ironic part of our lives as a society. Uh, I think it, it must have to do with our fight or flight survival instincts, you know, like our natural inclination to protect ourselves by avoiding dangerous things. And the media has always exploited that with scary headlines. But it, it also goes beyond that into a fascination with people who are capable of committing Unspeakable X. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but I want to bring this up because (laughs) I I have always had this kind of weird relationship to true crime. And one example that pops into my mind uh, comes from, I think it was 2006. Uh, for a short period of time, I teamed up with my friends, the late Jim Mars, and Nick Redfern, who is still among us. <laughs> Some say he's an alien, but he whatever he he is with us. Uh I teamed up with Jim Mars and Nick Redfern. And we went on a uh a speaking engagement tour. And uh this is something that I put together. It was called Dark 30, the Dark 30 tour. And uh our first place to speak was Kansas City, Missouri. And, uh, Jim had a uh, contact there with the theater. So I set the whole thing up and it was going to be like, I forget how many hours, uh, probably, th- you know, like three hours with some intermissions were like, I would speak for an hour. Jim would do an hour and Nick would do an hour. Um, it was a really cool, uh, thing. The dark 30 tour was actually recorded and somewhere out there, um, I have got, those recordings, I think I need to talk to Mobius and see if we can put those online and, and make them available for streaming. Um, anyway, so we all flew, the three of us flew to Kansas City, Missouri, and I uh, arranged for us to have this uh, hotel that was right next to uh, a, a bar and restaurant that was open late within walking distance because I knew that. Often we would be coming back late at night and uh, we were not renting a car. And so I was like, well, this is cool because we can just walk over to this place and, you know, eat before we head back to our room for the night. So we came in, oh, at least a day early. And I think we stayed a day late. So when we arrived. The, the three of us walked into this bar and actually, uh, see Eric Scott was there because he was the guy who filmed everything. We walked into this big, it was a nice old, like very, uh, hometown, you know, like neighborhood kind of bar restaurant. And we walked in and, uh, I don't know. I just looked over and as one would do, I randomly picked a table for us to, to go sit down. So we go, we sit down at this table and the server comes over. And, you know, we had an, I think that was like a late lunch or whatever. And then later that evening, we went back to have dinner and, uh, there was that same table that, you know, we were like, Hey, let's just, let's sit at that table. Turns out for the next few days, like every time we went into this restaurant, we sat at that table. That table was available. Um, and it was, you know, very well placed and, we didn't really think much about it. So on the very last night of our stay, we had like a VIP thing where some of the people who came to see us speak could pay extra and then they could come and actually hang out with us at this bar. And so uh we walked into the, the bar and there's our usual table, you know, where we've been sitting the past few days. We sat down and everybody gathered around us and, you know, having the usual deep philosophical conversations. And at one point, one of the guys who had lived in Kansas City his whole life said, Well, it figures that you guys would be at this table. <laughs> and I said, Well, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, Oh, you don't know? No. <laughs> And that is when he told me the story of the Kansas City Butcher. The Kansas City Butcher was a man named Robert Berdella. Last name spelled B E R D E L L A. And apparently, uh, and I have not, I should have gone back and like reread everything in detail, but uh, I really didn't want to think about this again. Um, this. Basically, like in the 1980s, I think one day, as this guy explains, this naked, badly damaged man wearing a dog collar is running down the street, screaming in some, you know, nearby neighborhood. And this is actually similar to what happened in Jeffrey Dahmer's case. And, um, Let's see, I believe it was... Okay, yeah, this is in the, in the 80s. And so, uh, this led them to this guy's house. And this guy, Robert Berdella, okay, he looks kind of like uh, a big fat Mario from Super Mario Brothers. And if you just go look up the Wikipedia page, uh, here's what it says. Okay, so this this guy had... He had a dungeon, okay, in his... On his property there. And you know what guys do in their dungeons, like, like real dungeons. And, and Wikipedia says Robert Burdella Jr., who lived from 1949 to 1992, was an American serial killer who kidnapped, raped, tortured, and murdered at least six young men after having forced his victims to endure periods of up to six weeks of captivity uh his crimes took place in Kansas City, Missouri between 1984 and 1987. Now, I would actually I would be willing to go into detail and tell you some of the stuff that this guy did, but producer Tom Danheiser says this has to be a family-friendly podcast. So, I will if you want to know what this guy was doing to dudes, just go just look up Robert Burdella. Prepare yourself. Okay, B E R D E L L A. And the reason this is relevant is because this guy, he was also a cannibal. See, he and Dahmer had a lot in common, a lot in common. But I think he did even more horrible things to dudes than Dahmer did because he would keep them alive for a long, long time. As long as like he was successful at keeping them alive for a long time and horribly torturing these men. Well, at that restaurant. Back in the day, they had kind of like a, um, a little flea market that they would do on the weekends where, you know, locals would come together and they could reserve a table and set up their wares and sell things. A lot of communities still do that kind of thing to this day. And so he used this uh, as a fixture. Okay. He would earn a lot of money by going to this flea market. And he always, always got that spot where our table was, where he would set up his goodies to sell to make some money on the weekends. Now the thing is, this story gets even more twisted. And uh, when we come back from this break, I'm gonna tell you about some of the goodies that this guy would sell at that spot. And then also about another horrible uh, brush I have with true crime. And then finally, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read to you this actual letter that I received a few days ago from uh, a man who is currently incarcerated. He, he heard me on the radio and it led to him sending me this. And it's really strange. And I'd like to see what you all think about it. Um. As you probably know by now, sometimes I do some very special things for people who subscribe to my free e-newsletter. I give away a lot of free stuff, and I'm going to be giving away a lot of free stuff, especially over the next couple of months here, around the holidays. If you want to be eligible, All you have to do is go to joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P if you go to joshuapwarren.com. And right there on the homepage, you'll see a little box that says put in your email address to subscribe to the free e-newsletter. You put your email address in there, you hit the submit button, and boom, you will instantly receive an automated email from me that's got some links right away to some immediate online digital gifts some good luck charms that will start helping you make your life more magical, com. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you are listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot strange things.
2: The Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. (laughs) So yeah, there we were sitting at this table being informed by this local that that was the table where this horrible serial killer. And I know all serial killers are horrible, but some are more horrible than others because this is a guy who would keep people in his house for like weeks and torture them unimaginably before they died. And, uh, I mean, I can't imagine a worse. a a worse type of person, a worse individual than, than this really. Um, so this guy, uh, Robert Berdella. Yeah. I I always want to say Bordello, but it's Robert Berdella. Uh, he would set up these mm, sort of like arts and crafts there at this spot. Maybe even on that very table. I doubt it. Surely they, he brought his own table or they threw his table out or whatever, Hopefully we weren't eating off of that table. And he was apparently incorporating human body parts into arts and crafts that he would sell there. And the thing is, now that I've gone back and take a second look, I don't think he ever admitted to any kind of cannibalism. But once I started talking to locals there, some of the people who would participate in that little neighborhood flea market said that it was common for the regular sellers to all get together and pretty much have like a potluck lunch where everybody would contribute something to the meal for the sellers. Um, I know that sounds a little odd that they would do that in a restaurant, but that's what I was told, and that Robert Berdella made the best stew ever. Everybody just loved that Robert Bradella stew. And so, of course, the word on the street was that he was finding all kinds of creative ways of disposing of bodies, and that uh he probably got a little private pleasure out of watching other people eat some of his victims. Again, who knows if that's true or not, but regardless, it was definitely a shock that we had been sitting at this spot this whole time. And then, uh, <laughs> then a local's like, Oh, you do know where you are. You know, tells us the story. Um, we never had any paranormal experiences there, but I mean, that's kind of messed up. And can, can, but think about it. If you were one of those people who ate some of that stew, I mean, wouldn't you feel disgusted as soon as you realized what this guy was up to? Wouldn't that be terrible? Um, so anyway, but I, let me before I get into this uh and I I know I'm starting off with some really uh twisted stuff here, but I, I have had prisoners contact me before. Uh I think the worst prisoner that has ever personally contacted me was Richard Ramirez, known as the Night Stalker. Uh and by the way, Robert Berdella, he died in prison of a heart attack at age 43. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because look, if a guy like that escapes, you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, uh, look at Ted Bundy. He escaped from prison and he went right back to killing people. So, um, so yeah, Richard Ramirez, another one of the worst, just the twisted, horrible stuff he did, the night stalker. Again, I'm not going to go over all the things he did. Um, it says here, uh, he, was also called the walk-in killer his crime spree took place in california between june of 1984 and august 1985 and he was convicted of 13 counts of murder five counts of attempted murder all kinds of other assaults and burglary and you know basically well, usually somebody who's like that, they get whatever they're convicted of as a fraction of the stuff they've actually done. Um, he, he was given 19 death sentences. This guy, he was so dark and twisted and evil and, and just a, again, the worst of the worst, practically a, a demon, a, a, a real demon walking among us on earth. And, uh, he heard me on the radio. And you know, here's how, here's what happens usually when prisoners generally do not have access to email. So what they'll do is they will write uh, a letter and with their with their own hand. You know, they get a pen and a, and a pencil or whatever or a, and a piece of paper and they write a letter and then they send that letter to a friend, a supporter, a relative. And then that person will scan it in and email you. So, uh, it's a slow process if you're going to try to communicate with a prisoner. And so, uh, I got car. uh, somebody contacted me who was like Richard Ramirez's rep or whatever, <laughs> the night stalker and said that, uh, he would like for me to interview him. And this is when I was doing my show called speaking of strange on the news radio 570 WWNC, the talk of the mountains. And you know, my immediate reaction was, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that'd be great radio." Me quizzing a serial killer, and my program director thought it was a good idea. But then, after that, like after the immediate, like, "Oh, that'd be good radio," then I start thinking, like, "Is is, is this ethical? Is this more like?" And I started really digging into who this guy was, and I started feeling kind of sick about it, and I. And it really started disturbing me, and I started thinking, I don't believe that I want to, to, to do anything to, like, feature the voice of this evil person. But on the other hand, you know, I had that conflict, like, well, can we can we learn something from this evil person about how to avoid this kind of – I mean, you go through these really weird emotions. So I had not made up my mind actually as to whether or not I was going to interview him. And then at that point, uh, the California corrections, whoever the, the prisoner, or whatever, uh, they, the warden stepped in and said he would not allow that interview to take place. So that ended that. But so that shows you like, I, I another example of how I've thought about these kinds of things. And, before I tell you what I was about this letter that this prisoner just wrote me a few days ago, I want to make something clear. I do not encourage prisoners to contact me. Okay. I, I really would prefer not to be contacted by prisoners. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, and that is because I am not in a position to judge anybody. And I don't know if, if you're in prison, I don't know if you, are uh a good person who is you know like an innocent person who was wrongfully convicted and is having like this the worst time of your life or if you are a bad person and you deserve to be in prison i'm not in a position to judge that that's some pretty heavy stuff um and so I pr- prefer to avoid that. You know, you might take somebody who's in prison and talk about what he or she says and then some victim out there says, "Well, why are you, you know, celebrating this person or something like that?" And and of course I'm not. But that's how it may be perceived. So it's a very complicated territory. And uh, you know, I, I'm not the governor. I'm not, I'm not in the position to have to decide, you know, who gets what. I do, however, realize as we all should that if a person does commit a crime and is guilty and if we don't kill that person or put that person in prison forever well then if that person does the time and then rejoin society well we want to do everything we can to rehabilitate that person you know that's good for all of us that's that should be the goal it's like what's the point point? And giving somebody, you know, the the scarlet letter the rest of his or her life, which is just going to drive them possibly back into doing some kind of dark uh act. So, I mean, we have to be open to rehabilitating people and giving them another chance. That's the whole purpose of the justice system. But so, again, I I don't like thinking about these things. So I do. If you're a prisoner, I'm not. Please, I prefer you not contact me. But. And this particular case, I was contacted and the prisoner said something really strange. And I figure I'd toss it out there to you and see what you think. So that's enough of a build up, I guess. Okay. This is a man who is in a prison in Texas and he is serving 18 years for robbery. And from what I can tell, um, I think that's it, like, you know, aggravated robbery kind of thing. And I know 18 years is a long time, so I don't know what he did exactly, supposedly. I don't know if he's claiming he's innocent or not. Uh, and I, I think there are also some weapons charges. So his representative scanned in his letter and sent it to me. And he gave me, of course, all his information in terms of, like, his name and... And, uh, you know, where, where he is located, et cetera. I'm not going to give his name out though, because that, um, I mean, let's face it. Being in prison is nothing to be proud of. And I think he would probably be okay with me giving his name, but I'm not sure. And I don't have time to check with him. So I'm not going to do that, but he heard me on the radio and, uh, and he wrote this message. Let's see. How are we doing on time? Okay. I think I may as well. Yeah. I'm going to have to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to read to you what he said. He and the, the funny thing is he has an exercise that he has discovered a mental exercise and he wants me and all of you possibly to do it to experiment with it. Now, what do you think about that? A guy who's in prison wants to do something to put you in his mindset. I told you. That's why this show is called Strange Things. I'm Joshua P. Warren. Yep, Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'll be back after these important
4: messages.
2: Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. For well over 10 years, I have worked on television projects with Zach Bagans, who, of course, is the... Host of Ghost Adventures on uh, what was originally on the Travel Channel and now it's, it's on other places. Um, we did, I've been on Ghost Adventures a number of times and then let's see, I was on the Paranormal Challenge, which he produced. I was on every episode of Paranormal Paparazzi, which he produced. Um, we've worked on other projects and Zach has this museum here in Las Vegas called the Haunted Museum. And when it comes to the topic of serial killers and people who have done horrible things, uh, the Haunted Museum is, I think, unmatched in how it, uh, presents the most terrible aspects of humankind. Uh, and, and let me tell you, I've been to a lot of morbid places, uh, like I've been to the Museum of Death in Los Angeles, and I've been to the Mutter Museum, uh, Mooner Museum, whatever, in, uh, Philadelphia, the, um, National Pathology Museum. I mean, I, I've seen some, you know, pretty gruesome collections, but, but Zach's place, it's not a fun house by any means. I mean, when you go in there, he is, Featuring, uh, the worst of the worst, uh, serial killers and, uh, things that, that they've done and ghosts that are attached to the things that they've done. And I actually, the last time I went there, I literally had nightmares that night. I've been there numerous times because, you know, a lot of people come into Vegas and, uh, if they want to visit, they say, what is there to do? And of course they're like, oh, I want to go to the haunted museum. And, and let me just tell you I, I, if you can handle it then you should go see it because it is uh astounding what he has put together. I could I mean I got to go in there and he personally gave me a behind the scenes tour just one on one of everything before the museum even opened. Uh and and it's only gotten bigger and more elaborate since then. And let me just tell you uh I can't believe all the effort and money and time that Zach Bagans put into creating this haunted museum. It's there's, there's nothing else like it in the world, but it is really truly disturbing. If you can't handle going in and seeing the worst of, of humankind. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that, uh, I am, am hesitant when it comes to digging into people who do dark things, uh, that's because I, I I don't want you know to dwell on that and have it sort of th- those thoughts kind of like affect or infect my thinking, you know in some way. But this guy who wrote me this letter, he's not one of those types. He was convicted on robbery, and let me tell you, robbery, that is a terrible thing. uh you know when I was a kid, I got home one day from school and somebody had broken into our house and stole a bunch of stuff, including... Some things that were very valuable to me. Some things that I personally treasured. They stole a camera that had photographs in it. Uh, They stole my go-kart. My dad had bequeathed me some things, and they stole those things. And let me tell you, robbery is nothing, uh, nothing to shake off. I mean, that's a bad thing. That's a horrible thing to rob something from somebody. So this man was convicted of robbery. And again, he's in Texas. He's serving... 18 years. I don't know how much of that he served, but anyway, let me get it right into his uh, letter. He says, I was wondering if you could validate or debunk an experience I have had with delving behind the scenes of reality. I can only explain it as a comparison to exploring the inner workings of a video game. While it is paused, if possible, please snail mail me. And he gave me his address and everything. Uh, he says, "I'm confident you will have questions after you try this exercise and see what I'm talking about." And I'm reading this as a handwritten letter, so if uh, if I stumble a little bit, it's just because maybe the the writing is uh, you know. It's it's actually pretty good writing, but it might be a little bit sloppy here and there. So here we go. He says the exercise is more effective when you try it immediately after you wake or before you go to bed. It's a lot easier when you wake around 3.30 a.m. and try it out. Here are the steps. Number one, as soon As you awaken, lay on your side and close your eyes. Number two, relax. Clear your mind of worrying thoughts and tasks. Number three, stare at your closed eyelids without darting your eyes around or moving your lids. Number four, focus on the far distant image, fuzz, or smudge that you see. It may dance around or play around like Mickey Mouse. Number five, as it moves and shifts, do not, and he puts in capital letters, do not follow it with your eyes. Keep them looking forward. Number six, when you start seeing a moving image, walking, running, climbing, etc., just keep looking forward. Number seven, out of the blue, your eyelids will beam into a projector where you vividly see you are someplace else. You can even Consciously move your foot to ensure you're still awake. Sometimes the projector will drift in and out, but once everything is completely clear, you are free to walk and explore. This is not lucid dreaming, but you can imagine any weapon, food, or scenario. Go around a corner. Or look in a bin. And it will be there. And you can terminate the experience at will. What place you land in differs. But normally a teddy bear will pop up for me. When I grab it. For this. Uh, when I grab for it. This enables me. To walk and explore. I must warn you that sometimes the initial projection will scare you so bad, you will open your eyes and tap out. But practice the steps. Sometimes it takes me up to thirty minutes to set the projection. Sometimes I struggle between the playing mouth thingy stages, and just sometimes I go right in. The strange part is that other people are there exploring like you. Some will conjure weapons to attack you, and you can do the same. But I imagine they too are real people that found themselves there. You will know it's not a lucid dream because you still have to focus on not opening your eyes. And your trip there was intentional. I recommend you ask particular people to try the exercise like those who claim things mysteriously catch on fire that shouldn't. Okay. He says, but don't tell them what they will or should experience. Let them tell you so as to preserve the integrity of the exercise. I learned the exercise by complete accident, but it did not surprise me since I've experienced all sorts of paranormal activity like closing shadow portals, if you have any questions, please contact me, and I have his info wow um now, look, I got this days ago, and I have not i i'm I'm super duper busy right now uh it's October, it's like the busiest month of my year. And I, I can't wake up and just lay in bed for 30 minutes and try this experiment. Um, my mind races and darts a lot anyway. I mean, he's in prison, so, I, I mean, I, it's, it's probably uh, easier to do when, when you're in prison and you have nothing else to do. But uh, in, in the future, I'm sure he'll, at some point, I'm sure somebody will make sure that he hears that I read his letter on this podcast. And if he wants me to then reveal more about who he is and all that, I will do that. But, um, you know, he asked me to have others experiment with this. Uh, and what I've done is pass this message along to all of you. So now it's going to be very interesting for me to sit back and get your reactions for those of you who try this out. And let me know if he's on something or, you know, or if this is just like some crazy message from a guy who's losing his mind behind bars what do you think let me know Uh, when we come back from this break some of the people who are in prison who contact me say you're a manifestation expert how do I manifest getting out of prison And (laughs) when we come back from this break I'm going to tell you um, some of my thoughts on that actually I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
4: I will be right back.
2: Segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren, and let me remind you that if you drive, oh, about half hour 30 minutes from the Vegas strip, you will find the quaint town of Boulder City, Nevada, which was created in the 1930s to house the workers for the Hoover Dam. And I have the Haunted Boulder City Ghost and UFO Tour there. It's a, a one-hour tour, easy stroll for all ages. And just to give you an idea of some of the spooky things about that town and, and why it's haunted, you know, a uh, very few people realize that the the first man to die on that project, building the Hoover Dam, was a man named J.G. Tierney. He was a surveyor, and he slipped from a barge and drowned the morning of December 20th of 1922. First man to die on the project. The last man to die on the project was his son, Patrick Tierney. He died on the exact same day December 20th of 1935 when he felt his death from an intake tower. Isn't doesn't that give you goosebumps? The first man dies and then 13 years later, his son becomes the last man to die on the day. There were about a 100 men who died total on that project, and that just helps set the stage. So anyway, look, if you're in town go do it haunted hauntedbouldercity.com haunted dot we run year round as long as we have reservations you know there are some nights that are like the weather's a little off or whatever but we more or less run year round haunted boulder com. so like i told you some um prisoners they contact me and they ask about you know how to manifest getting out of jail and that kind of thing you know um <clears throat> It goes back to how do you manifest anything? And here's one thing I think is important. I was talking to my wife, Lauren, the other day about the story of the Gordian Knot, uh, which is an ancient Greek legend. And the legend says that, um, there was this city. Let's see. What well, was called, uh, Fajarian or something like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they pronounce these Greek things. Uh, that, but anyway, this city didn't have a king and an oracle there decreed that the next man to enter the city driving an ox cart should, should become their king. Well, sure enough, this peasant farmer came into town with an ox cart and his name was Gordius and they immediately declared him king. That's how desperate they got. <laughs> (laughs) And he was apparently a really good king. And uh, so for uh, gratitude, uh, he took that ox cart and he connected it to a big post in the town with this extremely complicated, elaborate knot. And he said um, that, you know, this this is so tightly entangled, it's impossible uh, to see how this knot is put together and so this other oracle said that any man who could unravel that knot was destined to become the ruler of all asia and it was that way for many many years until alexander the great came through and he when he got to that town he struggled to untie this knot and he couldn't do it and so finally he said well it doesn't matter how it's Loosed, so he drew his sword and sliced it in half with a single stroke. And sure enough, he went on to conquer all of Asia in that day and age, fulfilling the prophecy. The point to that story is that when you want to manifest something, you can't just wish for it. You also have to take action. Um, Here is a... Portion of my book, Use the Force, A Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction. Perhaps the single most underestimated aspect of the law of attraction is the simple ability to receive the things you are manifesting. This certainly seems weird and counterintuitive. After all, what's so hard about sitting back and reaping the benefits of your mind power? The problem is that receiving is not simply a passive process. It also takes some effort and great awareness on your part. The things you manifest can only appear by way of the natural laws in the real world. That means if you wish for a pot of gold, it's not going to simply magically materialize out of thin air and fall at your feet. If only leprechauns were real. Uh, You cannot just lazily sit back, relying on your personal gravity alone to attract the grand things you desire. Instead, you must actively participate in the world, expecting to see positive things start to freely appear in your life. Thomas Jefferson is said to have stated, quote, I am a great believer in luck and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it End quote. And as the wildly successful Jack Canfield creator of chicken soup for the soul often says the last word in attraction is Action. Generally, when you want to materialize something significant and develop the right attitude, you will quickly see signs that your mindset is paying off. Little things will pop up each day. You might find the item you want at the grocery store happens to be on sale that day, or someone may invite you to go ahead of them in line. Maybe a stranger will give you a nice compliment, or you'll make it back to your house just before it starts to rain. If you're wishing for financial opportunities, you may literally begin to see money and other valuables lying around, and whenever you see these things, pick them up and take them. Accept what's being given, and feel grateful for these gestures of generosity made by the universe. Remember the adage, find a penny, pick it up, and all day long, you'll have good luck. That's a passage from my book Use the Force a Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction uh, if you go to joshua dot com you'll see uh currently on the top right hand corner a picture of that book and if you click on it, then you can uh you can download it, you can buy a physical copy, or you can listen to me read the whole darn thing as an audiobook through audible and I don't know. It's, it takes hours and hours, but I've recorded it in Puerto Rico and a lot of people love it. Look at the reviews, um, whatever you're trying to manifest, place your intention and then take some action. It's like, for example, here I live in Las Vegas and I'm now, especially now that I'm middle age, I'm always trying to lose weight. Uh, I think we all can relate to that, but it's super hard when you live in Las Vegas. I mean, in this day and age, you can, you know, it is, you can get your phone and go click, click and have it delivered. And this is a 24 hour a day town. I can get almost anything I want delivered here 24 hours a day. You're sitting there at three in the morning and you go, you know what? Uh, Maybe a pizza would be good right now or a Philly cheesesteak or something. I mean, I, I, I live within, my house is within walking distance of a bar and restaurant that's open 24 hours a day. Serving drinks 24 hours a day, gambling 24 hours a day, and some of the best pizza in Las Vegas 24 hours a day. I'm probably screwed here. And so, yes, I, you know, I set one of my boxes, like, gonna lose weight, gonna lose weight, but I don't just set it and be like, no, this is magically gonna happen. That subconsciously helps me to, uh, start thinking more about making good decisions uh, one decision at a time. And, you know, like I have a little board, I I was like, I'm going to buy a little, uh, dry erase board and start counting my calories. And that's how you start just like little things like that. Every time you put something in your mouth, you go, okay, how many calories was that? I know that sucks, but you have to start participating in the process. If you expect any results, I don't know if I'm going to, manifest what I want, but maybe I'll, I'll do a better job than I would have. Otherwise, (laughs) I think you get the point. That's how you go about manifesting anything. So you dwell on that and put that into context. Um, boy, I, there is so much more I wanted to talk to you about, but we are out of time. So here is what we can all do together. We can all just stop thinking for a moment. And we can relax. If you can, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and listen to this tone, the good fortune tone. It has done so much for people. I get emails all the time saying just listening to this tone is improving my life. And if you have some beverage around, you might even want to put it in front of the speaker and play the tone with that beverage next to it and then later drink the beverage. A lot of people say they've had uh, success with that. So here we go. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the one and only original Good Fortune Ton. That's it. For this edition of the show, follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit joshuapwarren.com to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop all at joshuapwarren.com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show and to always remember the golden rule thank you for listening thank you for your interest and support thank you for staying curious and i will talk to you again soon you've been listening to strange things on the iheart radio and coast to coast am paranormal podcast network